0: 你现在在听 KUCI KCI ima ima KCI so Estás escuchando la KUCI, 88.9. We
1: K-U-C-I. You're listening to eighty-eight point
0: nine FM KUCI in Reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. And Michael Vannin and Sui To all my elf friends, I am Tani Tenuliel, the resident KUCI, Middle Earth elf. Coming up in just a few moments, a Middle Earth perspective on life with the elf and her Hobbit co host, Milo Loamsdown. Hope you'll stay with us. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are. You're in the Shire. Perhaps someplace in the phallus? This is KUCI, Orange County's alternative radio station and the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. And greetings again. I am Tani Teneviel. This is What Would Arwen Do on Every Other Thursday? Not Thursday, Tuesday. <laughs> every other Tuesday, 4 to 5 p.m. on Alternating Weeks with Phenomenal Woman. And you may be wondering, what in the world is this all about? Perhaps if you've just tuned in, here we are, the day after Labor Day, starting very soon in the new quarter. Here at UC Irvine, lots of interesting energy starting to stir around the campus. But in case you're just tuning in for the first time, this is What Would Arwen Do? And this is the show where we ask, if a Middle Earth elf lived today in Orange County, California, what might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth? Its beauty, resources, and creatures, all things that elves hold dear to their hearts. Some people like to ask, What would Jesus do? which I think is a very good question. However, I like to ask, What would an elf do? What would Arwen do? In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle Earth, Colin Durias wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done done in the image of God and his created world. So I believe that Arwen, being an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, understood the principle of noblesse oblige—that with great privilege comes responsibility. And um, in case you're interested in learning more about this Arwen archetype, you can uh, find her story in *The Lord of the Rings*, and especially in the appendix in the back, that uh, part of the tale of Aragorn and Arwen. So I believe that the elven quality exists today in every living person and yearns for expression through gifts of nobility, service to others, and the arts. And this could be anything from making a little potted plant or making a nice meal for your kids. Uh, maybe it's playing the violin or the piano. Maybe it's playing a little piccolo flute. Maybe it's something as simple as running a household. <laughs> there are lots of ways for us to express our creativity and enjoy the way that in, that enriches our hearts. So I'm very excited because I've been here now for a little over five years. And for this last year, my co-host, Milo Lomestown, my fellow, my hobbit friend.
2: Good morning, Good afternoon and good (laughs) evening to all of our listeners, wherever and whenever they may be hearing us.
0: Yes, uh, because we love the Internet, which binds us all together in a wonderful way. Um,
2: Not as dreadfully as the one ring bound the rest of the elven rings, but uh, does bind us. That's why we're available on KUCI.org, 24 by 7's Alternative Radio from the University of California at Irvine. And kucitalk.org is where you can download our podcasts.
1: Yes. Or
2: you can go to iTunes and search for Arwen, A R W E N, and you'll find What Would Arwen Do? And the podcasts are there. Or you can listen live at 88.9 megahertz on your FM dial.
1: Yay.
0: And let's just, I'd like for us to say hello also to not only our, our friends, all two of them. <laughs> <laughs> or however there may be, listening uh, here locally in Orange County, but also through the Internet. And um, the wonderful thing I love about the Internet is that it gives us a way to stay in touch with those that we love who are in distant lands, much like in the old days where they had the Palantiri. Um, nowadays, we have the Internet, <laughs> a wonderful Elvish invention.
2: <laughs> it's a—it's definitely an Elvish invention. I was <laughs> I was there for its birth, and it definitely was an elvish thing.
0: (laughs) Well, we have wonderful things to talk about today. It has been a a very interesting week of... um some interesting elvish adventures, but I am particularly interested to hear about the Hobbits adventure this week, of which I did not know you were going off to this wonderful on um, this wonderful Hobbit adventure. So um, again, we want to say hello to our friends here locally and so Milo, would you please tell us before I burst <laughs> about your Hobbit adventure? Was it last weekend in Fullerton?
2: It was last weekend. On Saturday the 4th, Mm -hmm. I just got fed up. I got (laughs) sick and tired of being irritated because I had called the Maverick Theater when I first found out they were doing The Hobbit, Ah. and they said, oh, I'm sorry, but we're sold out for the rest of the run,
1: Mm.
2: and so I said, there must be a way, and so I called back on Saturday, Mm -hmm. and got the box office manager, and she said, well, there may be a couple of cancellations. and If you want to show up half an hour or more before the performance begins, maybe someone will cancel. We have a line waiting for cancellations. But the entire run, which which began on August the 6th and ends September 19th, the entire run was sold out like days after it premiered Mm -hmm. because it got such a good review Mm -hmm. in the Orange County Register. And so I said on Saturday, I need to go and see The Hobbit because we've got the anniversary coming up in two weeks of the original publication and I'm a hobbit. And so with trepidation in my heart, <laughs> I drove all the way to the fire, the far shire of Fullerton mm. the Maverick Theater is at 110 East Walnut Avenue in Fullerton, California, Their number is 714-526-7070, and ticket information is available at www.mavericktheater.com, and that's maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K-T-H-E-A-T-E-R.com is the way they spell it. And I was in trepidation for two reasons. First, I was worried about driving that distance and not being able to sit down. Mm-hmm. But I was also afraid that it's such a small theater. They only have 56 seats. Mm. There's five rows of 10 seats each.
0: Wow, that's a, that's a pretty small theater.
2: It's a very small theater. But and I bet
0: there's not a bad seat in the house.
2: There's not a bad <laughs> seat in the house. You can take it from <laughs> me. I talked to people after the performance, and they said... So I was there an hour before the performance. I arrived at 2 p.m., because it's playing... It's playing... Thursday, no, Friday. It's playing Friday and Saturday nights at 8 p.m. and Saturday matinees at 3 p.m. So Mm. I got there at 2 p.m. on Saturday, September the 4th, and talked to the box office manager. And she said, well, let's see if we can find you a seat. And I got... Even without
0: having to wait for cancellation?
2: I got second row, middle Wow. And I think in theater circles, this is known as like house seats because they always keep back a couple of seats ah. in case special people show up. And I think she thought I was special.
0: I can see why that might happen. Such a delightful hobbit you are. Is this the same person that you had spoken with on the phone? Yes. See, you'd already charmed her.
2: I think that may have been a part of it. The <laughs> hobbit can be charming when he wants to Absolutely. Be. So I went into the lobby after getting my ticket, which uh, I cannot mention prices because Mm. this is a public radio station, but it was very reasonably priced. Um, And the lobby actually is a fairly large lobby with an Art Deco bar and a very, very nice barman who will sell you, if you want, uh, beer or soft drinks. You can get candy. Mm. And chocolate, chocolate, which this <laughs> hobbit particularly enjoys. So uh, you basically sit there uh, drinking your soft drink or your beer or eating some candy waiting for the drapes to open that separate the lobby bar area from the actual theater space, which isn't much bigger, actually, than the lobby bar area, as it mm. turns out. It has 56 seats. There's basically 11, there's 11 seats in each of five rows. So it's five rows, 11 seats across. It's a very small space. And I went in there and I said, how in the world, when I first walked in, how in the world are they going to do The Hobbit with all of its many special scenes in such a small space? Mm. Well, let me give the executive summary first. It was wonderful. Mm. As C.S. Lewis said about Lord of the Rings when it was published, good beyond hope. My hopes for this production were very, very small because it's a very, very small independent theater company
1: Mm -hmm.
2: with a very small staff that basically works part-time on this. Mm. And I said, okay, so they'll, they'll maybe have some little things, you know, but I didn't have big hopes. Well, it was good beyond hope. It's divided into two parts. They have part one, and then there's a 15-minute intermission, and then there's part two. Mm-hmm. And part one uh, ends with the giant spider being killed. Mm. And then part two basically ends with Bilbo back in his his hobbit hole uh, talking with Gandalf.
0: You know, I had forgotten that there were... Um there are there are very many very similar themes in The Hobbit and in uh, The Lord of the Rings. Both movies have, you know, the deadly spider. Both movies have Rescue by the Eagles. You know, very yes. interesting.
2: Yes. Now, in this production, mm-hmm. as the director told me, the, the wonderful Nathan McCarrick told me, because I actually was able to meet him. Now, <laughs> before Nathan, before the production began. Now,
0: he said director? or, or what Yes. Is oh, Nathan
2: okay. McCarrick yeah. is both the producer and director. Mm. He is the overall large person. And mm-hmm. I'd like to read the, the director's note that mm. he wrote for this production. Mm-hmm. So this is Nathan McCarrick writing in the program, which is handed out mm-hmm. in the theater. And he writes... When the proposal to helm the Hobbit was first presented to me, I dismissed it as being too ambitious a story to produce on a small stage. As a huge fan of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings movie trilogy, I felt that trying to recreate such an elaborate world as Tolkien's Middle Earth with a small budget would be a disservice to the literature. But while rereading The Hobbit and available scripts, I found that in many ways it actually lent itself to being performed in a simple theatrical manner almost as an embellished campfire story. This final production, over a year in the making, is as close to a proper telling of Tolkien's novel as could be considered theatrically reasonable. We tried hard to pay respect but not imitate the movies, although, yes, there's a movie replica glamdring you'll see. And in our sound design, we refused to even consider using anything Howard Shore has ever composed, excepting an irresistible ten seconds that any fan will recognize. Please forgive us.
1: I wonder what it was. And Mm -hmm.
2: I will tell you in a moment, dear Tani, dear elf princess, what that 10 seconds was. Mm. Nathan McCarrick continues. I've long come to terms that it will not satisfy diehard fans who will recoil at factual inaccuracies and edited plot points. I'm sorry, but there's just no way to have a flock of giant eagles pick up my dwarves from the trees while they're being attacked by an army of wolves. If Julie Tamer ever stages this, maybe you'll be in luck. However, almost 100% of the lines in this particular script are taken directly from the lines as spoken in Tolkien's book, The Hobbit. And what edits have been made were done to better serve the central story of Bilbo Baggins' unexpected party, an unexpected journey into danger and decision.
1: Mm.
2: Not only danger, but there's a key decision that Bilbo makes at the end of The Hobbit Mm -hmm. when he has to decide how to prevent this war between the elves and the dwarves.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm.
2: So continuing with Nathan's and what he wrote for it to work, you must be willing to believe in it. This is a story of dwarves and trolls, dragons and spiders. And unless you allow your imagination to be swept away by what we've created for you here, it's going to look awfully silly. (laughs) Now, as it turns out, it did not look silly at all. As a matter of fact, the trolls as envisioned by Nathan McCarrick and his team of wonderful puppeteers, had me fully convinced that there were three trolls in that small performance space. Hmm. And two of the trolls actually come up and almost attack the front row.
0: <laughs> the trolls are like that.
2: The, uh, I, I must mention the cast. I mean, there there's many points. Mm-hmm. We have Nick McGee as Bilbo Baggins doing a very, very fine job. I recognized him as a hobbit immediately. He was just wonderful. Gandalf, Brian Page had perhaps the most difficult role
1: mm-hmm.
2: because while from the movies we well remember Ian Holm as Bilbo Baggins, but he was a very, very small part, mm-hmm. really, and he was a much older Bilbo, mm-hmm. right? right. A- 111 years old, to be exact.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Gandalf is all through the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and Sir Ian McKellen is one of the greatest actors of English Period. Mm -hmm. Certainly of this generation, but period, he's just brilliant. So Brian Page as Gandalf had a very, very big challenge, and he met it. He met it by not imitating Ian McKellen, but by reading the original script and looking. And I afterwards took a look back, and certainly the Gandalf in The Hobbit is a little bit different than the Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. Oh, yes. And Brian Page's interpretation of Gandalf was much more wizardly, somewhat sterner, mm. Mm. somewhat more regal mm-hmm. than the friendly Ian McKellen that we see in much of The Lord of the Rings. So kudos to Brian Page for taking a completely different tack. And by the way, the costuming, uh, the, the the costume designed by Andrea Burkholm, again, did not imitate what you saw Peter Jackson do. Hmm. And that is to their credit. They didn't try to imitate Peter Jackson. That's good. Nathan McCarrick basically took a different approach and said, we're going to do this as a campfire story, but with reenactments. And the reenactments are wonderful. The troll scene where you have basically Bilbo going behind and, you know, making them sound different words and the three trolls starting to fight each other. Mm And then finally, dawn comes and they're frozen into stone. Right. It's just a wonderful scene. The rest of the cast is very, very good as well. Thorin Oakenshield is played by Michael J. Keeney. Very well. Adweilen, Bomber, Felian Killy by Ryan Young, Ryan Kuhn, Drew Boudreau, and Gabriel Robbins. Gollum. Gollum. Now, Gollum is one of the chief creations of Peter Jackson.
1: Mm-hmm. Who
2: can forget Andy Serkis, oh, transformed yeah. by Peter. Weta magicians into that crawling, scrabbling horror of a creature. (laughs) Well, David Chorley plays Gollum in this theatrical presentation, Mm -hmm. and through lighting and costuming and makeup and his performance, he was actually scrabbling along, much as I, in my mind, when I first read The Hobbit, I regret to inform you now, dear, elf princess almost 40 years ago when <laughs> i first read the hobbit it's really david chorley that i more had in mind than the peter jackson andy circus which, oh. which is you know very wonderful for the lord mm-hmm. of the rings
1: mm-hmm.
2: bard is played with great assurance by scott keister uh the elven king is edward chamberlain uh, master and galleon and great Coblin by mark bowen jeff kievit and kyle hawkins there's an ensemble of goblins and elven guards, Lake Town citizens, mm. just really, really uh, a wonderful cast. Many, many people. As you read the credits for the puppets, mm-hmm. William, Tom, and Bert, the three trolls, Cobb, the the giant spider, and Smog. I need to make a special mention here of someone in the cast that I glossed over. The storyteller is played by Kalinda Gray, and you say storyteller. I don't remember Storyteller, but in fact, what this is set up as in the theater is Kalinda Gray plays a character called the Storyteller, but she looks like one of Galadriel's handmaidens. She looks like either an elven princess herself or a very high up in the elven ranks, and she tells the story, and it's as if she is telling the story to a bunch of elvish children. Yeah. even though it doesn't come out that way. But it's very, very well done. You have Smog, and you have the trolls. Interesting. You have the dwarves being real-life mm-hmm. on-screen characters. You have the giant spider being a theatrical creation, which when it occurs, I'm not going to spoil anything because some of our 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 listeners may want to try and go get, mm-hmm. get tickets, but uh, it's very, very well done. It's very scary when it happens. The trolls are both scary and comical, as <laughs> is the scene in The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. So my hat is off to these these people in a very small performance space. Oh, and when you first begin the play, mm-hmm. at the very start of the play, you have a round door to the round hobbit hole, and you have the unexpected party scene.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it is just marvelously, marvelously, marvelously done, and so beautifully done. And this set, it's basically a unit set, but Nathan McCarrick through his theatrical magic is able to make that one set serve as a mountain parapet, as the doorway to, oh, one of my favorite scenes in The Hobbit that I just must mention is Barrels Out of Bond. Now, Mm -hmm. some of our listeners will remember that we actually had the manager, director, creative force of Théâtre Saint-Phil from Montreal, uh, the great André Vion. He was mm-hmm. here live in the studio yes. with us.
0: so delightful.
2: That was delightful. And his puppet Hobbit is very wonderful. The music is one of the main things that's really wonderful about that production, mm-hmm. the the giant puppets and the Bunruku approach. Yes, It turns out that Nathan McCarrick, in his very, very, you know, bare, bare bones theatrical budget, achieves something quite wonderful. Some of the elements are Bunraku, where you have the dark Mm -hmm. figures, you know, operating puppets on stage. Some of it is Julie Tamer, where you see people operating by stick. Various birds and things. Mm. So he uses a, com- a wide variety of theatrical effects to achieve this. So, I mean, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, I've already I've already spent about half the show describing this, but well, I think imp- it would be. Um, go ahead.
0: Yeah, it, it, the wonderful thing about this is that. The, it shows the enduring nature of the works of J.R.R. R. Tolkien. As we see in the, in so many of the great pieces of literature, they transcend time. Uh, many of us love and uh, have and will continue to love the Tales of Narnia by C.S. Lewis and the tales, um, by other, um, Ursula Le Guin's uh, a lot of her tales, mm. the, the tales yep. of um, Art, you know, Art. I believe it's in the Arthurian time by. Um, uh, oh, her name just flew right out of my head, <laughs> but we see, you know, we see these these uh, these worlds that have been uh, created or discovered, and the wonderful thing is that many of them come to us through literature, and yet they continue to find ways to delight us through other means of artistic expression through plays, through music, through poems, through, you know, puppet shows, through movies. And it's just, it's just delightful because I think that this is one thing that the elves know well is that these things feed our hearts and our souls. It is so important for us to get out and do something that uh, sparks our imagination and our creativity or just uh, resonates with our heart. You know, you and I love the worlds of middle, of middle Earth. And so when we go to these things, it's like, to me, it's like, or even just watching the movies or something, it's like going on a little retreat or vacation for a while.
2: Exactly right. And, and this, if I may say, without being blasphemous, André Vienne's tremendous achievement with The Hobbit and the large-scale puppets and everything is a tremendously beautiful, extremely beautiful experience. The Hobbit, as achieved by Nathan McCarrick, is, however, somewhat more meaningful in human terms. Mm -hmm. For instance, when Thorin Oakenshield dies, and you Mm -hmm. see this actor less than 10 feet from you, you know, suffering from his wounds on the ground, Mm -hmm. I mean, there were...
0: I was just reading that this morning.
2: There was a tear in my eye, Mm -hmm. and there were people around me crying. There were some young children, well, children certainly, mm-hmm. 10, 11 years old, that were like sort of crying mm-hmm. as they saw Thorin Shield fall and, and pass away. And it was just so tremendously moving. Mm-hmm. So, again, I, I should mention here, before we get into the larger issues, but uh, if you want to ch- have a chance to see this, this year, the Maverick Theater is at 110 East Walnut Avenue in Fullerton, California. Their phone number is 714-526-7070. And you have to leave a message because they have like zero staff. They can only, they don't, they don't man the phones. They can only return calls. Right. But if you want to, well, if you want to, if you want to get tickets for other things of theirs, you can find ticket information at Mm www.mavericktheater.com. Later this year, they're going to be doing, apparently night of the living dead which is their <laughs> theatrical re- realization
1: mm-hmm.
2: back for its fifth year october 1st to 30th and it's it's like their halloween special mm-hmm. production that they do every year mm-hmm. i asked nathan afterwards if there was a chance that the hobbit might come back next year and he said well perhaps in a couple of years sometimes they do repeat things especially this one because it sold out instantly and also because the Hobbit movie mm-hmm. is still rumored to be coming out the end of 2012.
0: Yay, absolutely. And oh, But
2: you're right. It raises larger issues, as you point out. The experience of music and theater. And by the way, that 10 seconds that he referred to yes. is Howard Shore's fabulous ring theme. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ah. It's that subtle, it's the, the subtle motif, the light Mm -hmm. motif for the master ring itself.
1: Mm.
2: And that's just played when Bilbo finds the ring laying there in Gollum's cave.
0: Nice touch. (laughs) Nice
2: touch. That's the only Howard Shore music, just 10 seconds. seconds. And it is so powerful because it sets up a link in your mind. Mm -hmm. The rest of the music is all original with this stage production. But that 10 seconds sets up the connection, Mm -hmm. the linkage between this stage play and the movies that, chronologically at least, the story follows.
0: Because those are the continuing adventures of Bilbo.
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) Although he passes the ring to Frodo. I mean, it's still...
2: Oh, and I see in your hands one of the wonderful editions of The Hobbit.
0: Yes, and it's so funny because I was actually just reading this morning, before I even knew that you had gone to see this production, I was reading in... The end of the Hobbit, the return journey, in the part here where Orin, um, um, Thor, uh, Thorin Oakenshield, where, where he dies and he, yes. and he has those last few moments with, yes. with Bilbo. And I read this this morning and I just about cried. I, I, um, it was interesting to me in reading this, I, I want to read just this one little, it says, Farewell, farewell, good thief, he said, I go now to the halls waiting to sit beside my fathers until the world is renewed. Very interesting that um, the dwarves also had this belief, uh, you know, not this fear of death, but of knowing that they were going um to a place, you know, that was waiting for them as as the elves did. I mean and I think sometimes people forget that the elves, the original elves, were actually created before the elves awoke by Ayuli in uh, in in uh Eld- well actually I believe it was in uh, Middle earth and Iru and said, No, these are they are not allowed to um you know be in the earth before the firstborn have awoken. And but they were actually created even before then. And he talks about um and, uh, Bilbo here and he and he calls him a child of the kindly West. You know, yeah. A child of the kindly West. And so it's a it's a beautiful um I, I would have loved to have seen this and when scene you, in the when that you play. see
2: that scene, when you hear Michael J. Keeney, who plays Thorin Oakenshield, giving that speech verbatim, basically. Mm. It's just so moving. And the actors do such a good job. You can, see, you can see Bilbo, played by Nick McGee, you can see Bilbo trying to control himself and not break down.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, it's
2: just a tremendously mm. uh, moving, moving, moving. The combat choreography, by the way, is also by Nathan McCarrick. And the battle scenes are so realistic. I mean, I actually felt there was a goblin army there. An <laughs> orc army was attacking these folks. It yeah. was just very, very well done. And you get to see Sting, and it's glimmering, and you get to see Glamdring and Orcrist, and it's, just, it's yeah. just marvelous.
0: Well, let's have a little bit of music. Since we don't have Hobbit music from the Hobbit movie yet, let's play a little bit of Hobbit music from... The Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, the complete recordings. Oh, great. And take us into the Shire again. Um, we know that many times in The Hobbit, Bilbo was longing to be back in the Shire, just as Frodo was in his quest yes. for the unmaking of the ring. So let's yes. hear a little bit of this. Actually, we'll hear some uh, some singing, and we'll hear this is the Shire This is KUCI in Irvine. This is What Would Arwen Do? An elvish and hobbitish perspective on life. KUCI in Irvine, the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth.
2: Gosh, it it sounds just like I'm back in the hobbit seeing that wonderful. There are so many scenes they did so well. Barrel barrels out of bond when they escape from mm-hmm. the elven king in those giant barrels.
0: It's so funny. I was actually reading that, that same passage this morning too. I was just I was just reading some different passages in what the are hobbit. Constance.
2: And, and you didn't know until this no afternoon idea. that I had gone to see this theatrical production, but they actually did a very good job. They had real giant barrels. The actors actually got inside the barrels, and then the minions of the Elven King, unknowingly to them, rolled what they thought were just full casks of wine. They rolled these giant barrels off stage, stage right, and it was just so. It was a wonderful time.
0: Yes, it was interesting because as I was reading this this morning, because I'm I'm always reading, looking for information about the elves. It seems like, you know, it's like I read things and I'm like, oh, that gives me some interesting information about the elves. Because at that time, you know, the... In the story, all of the dwarves are in separate cells. You know, yes. in captivity. They don't know that Frodo is wandering about the halls Bilbo. using the uh, Bilbo. Yeah, using the ring to be invisible, and uh, g- gathering information, and discovers that he can get them out through these uh, through these barrels. But it was interesting because um, it says one day nosing and wandering about, Bilbo discovered a very interesting thing. The great gates were not the only entrance to the cave, so this is where he discovers and gets his plan. And it says, um, uh, it talks about uh, at one point where it passed into the caves, the roof had been cut away and covered with great oaken trapdoors. These opened upwards into the king's cellars. There stood barrels and barrels and barrels. For the wood elves, and especially their king, were very fond of wine, and no though no vines grew in those parts. So they had to, in a sense, import wine. And I thought, oh, that's very interesting. That's where the elves of, the elves of Mirkwood, you know, weren't making their own wine. And it talks about <coughs> how Bilbo, Bilbo had a special bit of luck. It uh, said, um, because the chief of the guards asks the um, one of the captains, you know, He says, come now, come in with me, he said, and taste the new wine that has just come in. I shall be hard at work tonight clearing the cellars of the empty wood. So let us have a drink first to help the labor. Very good, laughed the chief of the guards. I'll taste with you and see if it is fit for the king's table. (laughs) (laughs) There is a feast tonight and it would not do to send up poor stuff.
2: It would not do.
0: Uh, When he heard this. Bilbo was all in a flutter, for he saw that luck was with him, and he had a chance at once to try his desperate plan. He followed the two elves until they entered a small cellar and sat down at a table on which two large flagons were set. Soon they began to drink and laugh merrily. Luck of an unusual kind was with Bilbo then. It must be potent wine to make a wood elf drowsy. But this wine, it would seem, was the heady vintage of the great gardens of Darwinian, not meant for his soldiers or his servants, but for the king's feasts only, and for smaller bowls, not for the butler's great flagons. Mm. So we see here even, you know, where it says luck was with Bilbo, we see that element again of providence. The um, element of providence. Mm, of the, note of that the Bilbo
2: is using the ring for good to get his friends uh-huh. out of jail. Yes. Not for evil.
0: And it actually cuz I remember reading this uh this morning and thinking oh, oh my gosh, you know, um Bilbo had to keep the ring on because remember when Frodo put the ring on, this was many years later, and Sauron's power had grown tremendously. He could only keep it on for a few seconds and was seen by the Great Eye. Right. Whereas in this, um, it says that Bilbo actually had the ring on for about two weeks. Yes. Um, but w- remember also how Gandalf talked about um, that he had looked. He looked a little thinner, you know, yes. in the sense of um this transparency about transparency, him yes. and which you you know you think about the fact that he had to stay invisible from the elves right. which would be a great task you know for at least two weeks while he says um eventually after a week or two of this sneaking sort of life by watching and following the guards and taking what chances he could, he managed to find out where each dwarf was kept. Mm-hmm. So lots of really fun things for people to well, hopefully go back and and read *The Hobbit* again. <laughs> *The Hobbit*
2: is is a great book. And one final reminder: if you want more information about this Maverick Theater, which did such a tremendous job with su- such meager resources, mm-hmm. it was really thrilling. Heartwarming, wonderful, and beautiful. www.mavericktheater.com in Fullerton. But speaking of elves,
0: and I just would like to say you um, you mentioned earlier um, when we we're off the air that you had spoken with the director about the possibility of it coming around again or this other production yes. and he said well perhaps uh, we I, we would like i would like to encourage our listeners and encourage myself as well to be mindful maybe jot something in your calendar because as the movies come closer to coming actually coming out and interest begins to uh to wax <laughs> yeah. uh, about those things there will we i think we'll see a lot of things like this beginning to pop uh, up here and there you know in another year or two as we get closer to the release of the movies
2: i think so as well
0: that will be fun and then we'll get tickets in advance (laughs) oh absolutely (laughs) and talk about it on the show (laughs) but speaking
2: of talking there's exciting events coming up soon here in this area we have if i recall correctly the day after tomorrow isn't there something about bobcats?
0: There is indeed. There is going to we because we have bobcats that live right here in the area. A family of bobcats that have been living at the Back Bay, uh, one of my favorite elvish places uh, to be, um, one of the last remaining estuaries along the California coast, and uh, home and not only home to many species of birds and creature, but also a place where many, many birds uh, stop over in their migratory journeys Uh, as they're going south or north, it's where they stop and eat and get rested and refueled. And so it's important if you have ever had a chance to see a beautiful documentary called Winged Migration.
1: It's, oh, my gosh. It's,
0: it's beautiful, but also so beautiful and yet sad that many of these migratory routes are going away, and we see birds, you know, trying to land in cities and things like that to just, you know, because they need to rest and to eat, but there's, there are not their regular stopping places. So Which um,
2: used to exist for perhaps thousands of years. Yes. All of a sudden... Gone.
0: So anyway, that is, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about ways that people can support and help uh, the keep that beautiful place beautiful and uh, safe for our animal friends to come. But as you mentioned, this coming Thursday, September day 9th, tomorrow, September tomorrow, 9,
2: 9, 9.
0: at 7 p.m., um, Dick Newell and Don Miller will present Those Urban Bobcats and it says it uh, here in the Clapper Rail Mail, says it promises to be a fascinating evening, as you, as you no doubt know, or may or may not. Uh, Dick and Don have been tracking Babe and her families for several years and have collected a wealth of information. People are always um, sending them pictures as well. Uh, the, sometimes the bobcaps come up on people's patios <laughs> or something, or they, you know, maybe run into them out on the paths. said, we sent out a separate flyer, um, and they... Uh, invitation is also to the general public, so it says everyone should uh, come early for a seat. If you'd like information uh, for this, and also the naturalist training that's coming up, uh, I'll give some information about that in just a moment. But Rita McCoy, and her number is nine four nine nine two three two two nine six. So information about the bobcat presentation, the fall naturalist training, and cleanup day, which is Saturday, t- September twenty fifth. The local phone number is 949-923-2296.
2: Wow, good.
0: And one of the wonderful things about the Back Bay and uh, the Back Bay Naturalists and Friends is they do a fall naturalist training, which is go- coming up just the end of this month, September 30th. And if you'd like to apply to take the training, again, uh, contact Rita. And this is a 10 week training. It's generally on Thursday evenings and uh, three or four hours on Saturday mornings. You learn all about the Back Bay, you learn about uh, the estuary, the uh, naturally, um, the plants, the, the vegetation, you learn about the history of the Back Bay, you also, and the marine life. Um, they also train you to do walking tours or kayak tours or uh, canoe tours if you're interested in doing some of those things it's a wonderful wonderful training especially if you're someone who li- who has lived in this area and have appreciated the back bay for some time you might want to take it just um, for your own enrichment but also in case you would like to have some place to volunteer
2: well. Hobbits don't much like boats or canoes, (laughs) but we love walking. Mm -hmm. Walking is such a joy and a pleasure. And that area, the Back Bay, is so extremely beautiful and very, very functional. It's very important to the ecosystem, not just locally here, but sort of internationally as there are certain migratory birds from Canada that pass through this way.
0: And their annual cleanup day is coming up this year. It's going to be Saturday, September 25th. And I think a lot of people do not realize <laughs> that all of the things that get thrown in the gutters, from Tustin to Santa Ana, and every all parts in between, go into the drains, which go into the sewers, which at, uh, go into the drain systems, not the sewers, but the drain systems, and they dump into the river that eventually makes its way into the back bay. So cigarette butts, little paper cups, um, things like that. If you see them around, pick them up and put them in the trash rather than having them uh, fill up the storm drains and dump into the back bay. However, we are having a cleanup day, and this is one day a week, uh, one day out of the year, and it's a day also where people are able to go a little deeper into the back bay areas that are generally protected because of the endangered wildlife there, uh, but they... Uh, Schedule these things to coincide so that it's the least amount of possibility of disturbing any nests or anything like that. But it's a day that you can go in earlier, sometimes see uh, maybe clapper rails, which are the endangered species, and things like that. So it's going to be Saturday, September 25th, <clears throat> from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. I believe they give you uh, some lunch and they ask you to bring um, some water. And there'll be um, high school students and just lots of things. And there'll be some booths. So, again, the phone number, 949-923-2296, a wonderful family event.
2: It's just a tremendous thing to not only be able to do good for the back bay, but also do good for yourself as you have a chance of seeing wildlife perhaps that you've never seen before in your life and can't see At any time because this protected area is not open usually to people. It's the one time of the year when that area is opened because they're trying to clean up those habitats where you can actually see some very, very special creatures and and some very special plants. There are so many thousands of kinds of plants, flowers, shrubs, trees,
1: Lots of hummingbirds
2: over there. And the hummingbirds are so beautiful.
0: Yes. And, um, of course, dear to my elvish heart, but this also is one of the ways that I feel like that if there's something, in you, maybe if you've seen the Back Bay or heard of it and just thought, oh, you know, that's really wonderful. Sometimes actually going and participating in something like a cleanup day or some other type of event like that makes it real. It's not just, oh, there's an estuary over there on the coast. It now becomes part of who you are. You you are a part of preserving this for the children and the generations and the creatures that come after us.
2: And it's not only good for the generations that come after us, but it's good for us ourselves. Mm-hmm. That is, as good to expand our heart, expand our thinking, know that maybe as we work in a regular job Monday through Friday, how much good are we really doing for the world? This is an activity where you know that mm-hmm. that Four or five hours you spend cleaning up the back bay will be good for the environment. Will be good for our fellow creatures mm-hmm. on this earth, and and it, it's the positive knowledge that you're definitely doing something good. Without any question, it's good.
0: And it's and it's a wonderful thing. It's, this is not like trying to clean clean up oil from an oil slick or something. It's actually fresh air, beautiful <laughs> beautiful fresh air. It's right there on the coast. Um, by the Back Bay, you know, by Jamboree and University, goes all the way to, down to PCH. So it's it's really a wonderful way also to just connect with uh, nature's temple, as John Muir would, would say.
2: And, in mm-hmm. fact, you may not know that this exists. And, quite frankly, Tani, my elf friend, until you first mentioned this to me last year, I wasn't aware of how extensive and important the Back Bay was. Hmm. After you mentioned it on the air last year, I felt free to do some research and found out that it is a very, very important estuary in the western United States and perhaps the most important in the western United States and certainly one of the most important in the United States as it has so many immediate support systems for local wildlife as well as migratory wildlife
1: right
0: <coughs> they say that like one square foot feeds like thousands of birds of right. mud it's the mud flats are amazing it's amazing and we are out of time
2: <laughs> well but we have to look at the calendar we have to say hello to our Muslim friends as we're getting ready for the month-long fasting and prayer time of Ramadan is coming to a close this week. Mm -hmm. Our Rosh Hashanah for our Jewish friends is kicking off the, I guess they're called the High Holy Days. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, we also observe next week on the 15th, the Silmarillion, first published in 1977 on September 15th but the big day on the calendar <laughs> the the massive day on the calendar is 2 weeks from today our next show mm-hmm. of what would arwen do the hobbit was first published in 1937 September on 21st September 1937 21st. and yes. that's that will be 73 years ago in 73 Amazing. and 37 it's sort of a yes. reversal there
0: That's right so that so will be weeks, So in two weeks, we're so going to have a, a tremendous
2: special, special okay. show, special in many dimensions, if I may say so.
0: Yes, we will have some special announcements that, way, yes. that day and perhaps some very special giveaways, gifts perhaps. to give, and um, some things to hear that nobody... Probably, have, and I haven't even heard before. So, lots of wonderful things to look forward to. And speaking of things to look forward to, in just about uh, four minutes, the Blueberry MacGuffins will be here.
2: Oh, what an exciting <clears throat>
0: literary sharing, show! Yes, that sharing is. the adventures of the literary life and hopefully inspiring people to take up a book and read. Tole lege, tole lege. Excellent <laughs> take selections, up and read.
2: very, very well read.
0: Yes. And uh, and lots of fun too. They're just they're just delightful.
1: Hilarious. Um,
0: and they will be here at uh, from five to six. S- right? I yes. think. Yes. <clears throat> absolutely. Absolutely. So <clears throat> we will have to say until next. In two weeks, Elin Salalomeno Mentielvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting, my friend.
2: I can't believe it, Tani, that we've already passed yet another delightful hour talking uh-huh. about The Hobbit and the Back Bay and all these wonderful things that we're so privileged to enjoy.
0: And hopefully inspiring people to go out there and get some arts and music and things like that and get in, involved.
2: into your hearts. Yes. Get involved with supporting the environment. Get involved with supporting your community. It'll give you yeah. much more than you give out you will receive.
1: Yeah,
0: Let it, let it make your heart smile. Yes. <laughs> okay, my friend, let's end today with some Hobbit music then from the original Good. from the original movies. Yes. The original soundtrack by award winning soundtrack by Howard Shore. Let's uh, he- hear concerning Hobbits from Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring. <laughs> this is K U C I in Irvine. I am Tony Genuviel, my co-host.
2: Milo down at your service.
0: And if you want to email us, ask an elf A S K. A N E L F, ask an elf at yahoo.com. We would love to hear from you until next week. Two weeks from today, Namaria.